Okay, now I got lights. Okay. Lights, camera, and action. All right. <laughs> well, it was a beautiful drive up from Almogordo and the balmy, pleasant breezes there <laughs> to, be, uh, to be here in the little cooler place. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share fellowship and worship with you this morning. I'm grateful for Larry asking me to come and uh, be in his place uh, this morning. <clears throat> it's um, really a privilege to serve your church and 22 others for our association. Um, and uh, th- this may be our final opportunity to be together as far as uh, be- me being able to preach or being with you. Um, because I'll be retiring by the end of the year. I've announced that <clears throat> already, and um, if our house sells sooner, it'll be sooner. But <laughs> uh, that, that's always uh, up to the Lord, amen, <laughs> his timing. and uh, But we're uh, looking forward to that next, next aspect of ministry, next phase of life and being uh, closer to family uh, in the Abilene area in Texas. Uh, and... Um, be able to enjoy some grandkids and so forth. So that'll be the first time, I guess, about in our ministry, just about that we've had that opportunity. Now, I want to ask you, if you would, to turn to what will probably be a familiar passage. Thank you very much. Got a little raspiness this morning. Thank you. Jeremiah 18, the first 10 verses of Jeremiah 18, the familiar story of the potter and the clay. It's, it, as has uh, already been mentioned, it's very easy for us to come into God's house with our mind filled and our hearts really filled with other things. Um, that That's quite natural. Uh, we... Um, can present that weakness to the Lord <laughs> and, and say, Lord, would you, by your spirit, help me to be focused on your word. Help me to hear from you. I don't want to hear from a man. I want to hear from you, hear what you have to say to me. And that was really the, the, the experience Jeremiah was having as the Lord begins to speak to him in the first part of chapter 18. It starts like this, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. And this word is interesting. It's a very picturesque word of what the potter's wheel looked like because it was two wheels one on top of the other, the one that was below was spun with the feet. The top one was both of them horizontal, but the top one was where, of course, the clay would go. Um, But the vessel that he was making of clay, in verse 4, was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? 
declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring to it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So this is the pictorial message that the Lord gave to Jeremiah on that day. As he says, go down. Uh, Near the temple area, he goes down probably to the valley of Hinnom or near there. A lot of clay, a lot of water there available for pottery making. And this was... uh, a very common thing, but not a common practice. Uh, patronage, patronage of kings was involved at times in pottery making. If I sought to put a title to this that made some sense, hopefully it does, <clears throat> and it's this, said the, said the clay to the potter. We need to stop and think about that for a moment and say that doesn't happen very well, except human clay... <laughs> to the real potter. Sometimes we uh, say more than we uh, need to say. I like the song, Let My Words Be Few. Uh, That's a good idea. But uh, if we were going to put it into a a sentence, I think it would be that the clay is never lifted to the level to call into question the love or the intent of the potter. We can have questions. God wants us to ask them. But when we are quizzing God... Or judging God, we're out of bounds. If if we were to look, uh, for example, in the book of Isaiah, in uh, chapter 29, he says this, You have turned things around, as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say to its maker, He didn't make me? How can what is formed say about the one who formed it, He doesn't understand what he's doing. Chapter 64, verse 8, Isaiah says, Yet, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We all are the work of your hands. Can we pray a moment, please? Father, we come before you in your house with a desire to hear from you, to hear your word, not from the standpoint of being an audience to absorb or to be entertained, but, Father, as your children, to be instructed and in some instances corrected by the sweet, precious, and firm word of God. We ask that our hearts will be pliable. We pray, Father, that your spirit would direct your words that, that are alive down to the joints and marrow, down to where we live. We pray, Heavenly Father, you'd be even preparing our hearts now for the time that we share the Lord's Supper together, that you would get glory through that, that we'd realize that it's your table 
we've been invited to it, and we've been given that special and precious place in your family to share in that special meal of redemption and future grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It is said in Japan that there is a unique art. In fact, uh, it's, uh, it's really almost become a philosophy. It's, uh, I, I know I wouldn't begin to pronounce it correctly, but it's kentuskuro. Uh, it means golden repair. Uh, it's the art of restoring broken pottery with gold so that the fractures are literally illuminated by the gold. It's, a, it's a, intended to be a physical expression of the spirit of the peace. Um, and so the philosophy is, that, and it's an integral part of that story, uh, it is that, that weakness or brokenness are not things to be disguised, covered up. That the artists are really saying that uh, if there's been damage that's occurred or has, that damage has a history, that makes the piece more beautiful. Uh, the true life of an object, it says, or a person, begins the moment it breaks and reveals that it's vulnerable. The gap between a once pristine appearance and its visible imperfection deepens its appeal. Well, that's a, that's a philosophy. Um, it is given real life from the Word of God and the reality of redemption, that God takes broken things and makes them whole, that God has the way of fixing pottery that isn't shaping right, even in his own hand, that's resisting his leadership, is resisting the pressure that he brings upon the pottery. So if we could, let's think just a few moments together about this text, this story in the life of Jeremiah and what God might be saying to us as he calls us by the potter's wheel and says, take a look at this. My word is involved in this. I have something I want to say to you, and I hope that you will hear it with your heart and not just with your ears. And it begins with the fact that saying is doing, at least where the Lord is concerned. It's quite possible for us to say some things and never get them done, right? <laughs> the, the honeydew projects and things like that. Here's, I'm going to do that. And then a year later, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and it's still there. But that's, that's never God's way. What he says, he does. He may not do it in your timing or my timing, but what he says, what he promises, he does. So he tells Jeremiah, go down at once. This wasn't of when you get around to it, Jeremiah, I have something I'd like for you to see. Go down now. I, I have something I want to say to you. I have something I want to show you. Uh, this is important. Don't miss it. It's not, uh, it was not an uncommon setting, uh, but it may have been a little more of an uncommon occurrence for the potter to have flawed clay that would not cooperate with the pressure of his hands. Uh, it's a clear perception of the message of Jeremiah's life. If you would go back to chapter 1, verse 10, the very same words in this text are used in his calling, that I have, I have called you, the Lord said, to pluck up, to tear down, to build up. 
and to restore. So he uses these words as God says, this is what I intend to do to nations. And I'll declare my intention. And that that attention, intention, as we can see, can be altered not by the changing of God, but by the design of his heart to be redemptive. Here's the, the clarification that comes through the message of Jeremiah, I think, as God speaks to him through a clay pot that, that slumps down or does not really fit the pattern that the potter has in mind. It, it is this, that the, this is not the power of judgment, but it's the vitality of God's intent that he, per, he persists. He keeps working with us. Um, if you think about um, how we as adults correct children, and, and uh, we, we've adopted a little girl. She's four now. She turned four this week. And uh, Maylee is, is a, a challenge at all times. <laughs> uh, she is full of life. She was full of life about 3 o'clock this morning even. and uh, But uh, there are times that we correct a child and we may be correcting a child from the standpoint of I'm, I'm, I'm large and in charge. Listen to me. You got to do what I say because of who I am and I'm bigger than you. But, but the reality of genuine correction is that um, we communicate to the child not only that we are in charge in the right kind of way, but that we have a redemptive purpose in mind. We have a desire to see them grow. We have a desire to see them miss some stuff that we hit square in the face. We don't want to see them hit square in the face. We have a desire to see them hit some things that we missed because we didn't listen. We want to help them in a redemptive sort of way and to have the goal eventually of a higher plane of fellowship with them that we get to go from the position of authority to the position of counsel. We can counsel them as a young person. We can counsel them even as a young adult. That's God's design. That's God's plan in correction, and he mirrors that. He demonstrates that. He shows it to Jeremiah. He says, go down to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. Now, that would be exciting to a prophet should be exciting to a child of God. I'm going to show you something. It'll make your my word come alive to you. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go hear it. Let, let's go see what you have to say. And so the, the, the word of God says in this pictorial message from God that the and this is important. God's words are always important and precise. The clay became flawed in the potter's hands. Didn't say the potter messed it up put too much pressure on it but there was a flaw in the material or there was a flaw in the in the resistance or the lack of resistance or whatever in the material and so he made it into another jar there was a secondary design if you would that he had in mind that he didn't lose from before he has this intent of making us in a redeeming way a useful vessel for him I, th- I think this needs to be in all caps he didn't toss it and start with another lump of clay he didn't toss it and start 
with another lump of clay. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God is that way? That that's his heart? He, God's hand is on the material. That is a beautiful picture. That he doesn't just say, go do something and do it right. But he is shaping us and with us and guarding us and guiding us and correcting us by his hand. This is not a project for him. We, we are not a distant plan that he's coordinated on a piece of paper. We are his child and he walks with us and holds us in his hands and cares for us. There's personal engagement in God's purpose for us. God always acts with grace in accordance with his nature and the spiritual principles of his character. The defect was in the clay, not in the hands of the potter. But we ought to really get excited about the fact that we ought to do well to pay notice to the fact that that the potter was persistent. So is God. He's persistent to bring out in you the very best, to bring out in you the likeness of Christ. And so when we think about saying is doing, that's God. And these are the things that he wants to do. He isn't just running around slapping us on the hand, but he is trying to help us grow. He's trying to make us more like Christ. We can't miss a second thing, and that's the divine authority that God demonstrates here. Um, there, there's some that really want to get into the throes of, of human freedom and divine authority or sovereignty of God and so forth, and it's clearly there. But the message that God was conveying to Jeremiah was one of God's persistent love. The word of the Lord. Jeremiah heard, house of Israel, can I not treat you as the potter treats his clay? His clay. The authority of God is expressed in the believer's life as the believer recognizes the ownership of God. I belong to Jesus. I am a child of God. I am his. Uh, there, there's a, an aspect where he is mine, but he is not mine to control. <laughs> he is not mine to put in my back pocket and walk around and just use him when I need him. He's Lord. He is king. He is sovereign God. And so, um, for the Jew, there became a problem. <laughs> they embraced the fact that they were the chosen people. But it drifted to the place where they were the privileged people rather than understanding they were the people who were owned and designed for a divine purpose. Big difference. Big difference. We have privileges, but they're the privileges of walking out the purposes of God. It is so critical for us to rein in our pride and our self-sufficiency. God never answers to you. God never answers to me. He's the Lord. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is out of holiness. He does what he pleases because his pleasing is always 
perfect. <laughs> it's always holy. It's always right. And he never comes into our courtroom where we say, explain yourself. Justify what you did. Uh-uh. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. <laughs> Pardon my English. Ain't going to happen. He's king. He's Lord. It, he did not create you and me to operate as independent managers apart from him. He created us to walk with him. Jesus didn't say, go do the best you can. He said, follow me. Follow me. Go with me. That's the Christian life. Follow me. So the Lord says, just like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, under my authority, there for me to put the right kind of pressure on at just the right time to shape you into the likeness of Christ, to be shaped by his purposes. Do you see that, that even the potter smashing the clay back on the wheel was an act of redemption. I'm not throwing you away. We're, we're going to renew this and we're going to move in, in, in this direction to build a useful pot, a useful tool, a useful life out of you. It's important also to see divine intent, not just divine authority, but divine intent. And that's the last thing we're going to look at. God will never relinquish his authority and his sovereignty. He always remains God. And quite bluntly, he's the only one. <laughs> and he's not shy about saying it. Isaiah 45, 20 and 22. And you can also find it in Isaiah 46 and other places as well. Gather together and come. Assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me. Now, I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. There is no God apart from me. There is not another one. He knows everything, and he says, there's not another one. Guess what? There's not another one. Amen. And so he says, there, there is none but me. He says, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God, a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. I think that's pretty plain. If God repeats it, it must be pretty important. should be pretty clear to understand the sovereignty of God is not to say, well, what will be will be. We, we don't have any say in the matter. We don't have any control in the matter. We can't. So whatever will be, will be. But it, it's really God, when he expresses choices, when he says, I set before you life and death, as he said in Deuteronomy chapter 30. When he gives us options, when he, it's not, when he says, as he does in this text, I have a, 
a declaration of punishment or correction for this people, but if they repent, then I will relent of that. Or I have a desire to do well for this people, but if, if they go astray, if they begin to ignore me, I will change my mind about that is the way we would say it, change my mind. But, but we struggle with that. Can God change his mind? Does God, as the King James, and I don't, I'm not putting that translation down, that's what I memorize most of, the, of my scriptures from, but it says repent. Does God really repent? Does he have to correct himself or something? He is plainly stating when he says there are choices here. And when he comes to his people and says, now you're going to be surrounded with an enemy and these things are going to happen, but there's still the opportunity for you to repent. He is saying, I want you to understand something. I have established a reality. If you do this, there's a train wreck ahead. And that's not going to change unless you change. If you repent, then I have established by my grace a, a, a healing, a res restoration. You can go this way. I can begin to bless you and use you for the glory of God. God's sovereignty and, and his control are not dependent on man's choices. However, he, he lays out the options. Man can make the choices but his man's choices only depict God's word and God's promises to us. In Romans chapter 9, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to move from the same lump one to make from the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another of common use what if god although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has also called not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Aren't we glad? <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. What a merciful God we serve. And then he says, I will not bring it about what I had planned. Is God fickle? Is he un uncertain? Uh, there's a, an awkward person who brings this message to life. Uh, um, Balaam and, and, and Balak, you may remember in the, number, in the book of Numbers, um, Balaam says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. When he is blessed, then I cannot revoke it. There's a power in God's word. The word that is used for repent for people is uh, to really uh, to turn back, to cease, 
and desist, but when it is used, the word that is translated in some translations, repent, for God means to relent, to reconsider, literally to mourn or grieve over the choices that have been made, to feel compassion and pity. It's an entirely different idea. God never changes in his essence who he is in his intended purpose, what he intends to to ultimately do. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Praise God for that. He never goes slack on his promises. We need to be grateful for his divine persistence that he keeps on keeping on his patience for his purpose in each of us, what he wants to accomplish in each of us. Faith and faithfulness have a consequence just as disobedience and disloyalty do. Um, I was listening to Ken Davis. He's a Christian comedian and speaker. And he was talking about a a little girl who asked for a dollar from her mother. She said, there's a lady in the park, and I want to give this dollar to her to help her. And she, she was taken by the fact that the daughter wanted to help. So she was very proudly giving her the dollar. And she said, well, is the lady not able to work? anymore and she said oh yes she sells candy (laughs) his point was that the world is made up of two people givers and takers and he also made the point that takers eat well givers sleep well they have a clear conscience they can serve they're not wrapped up in themselves. I think there are some conclusions we can draw from these words from God that Jeremiah saw depicted in the life of a potter. Confess again to yourself, then to others, that what God promises, He will perform. We have to, re- we have to rehearse that to ourselves because we get wrapped up in the the loose ends, we get wrapped up in the things that haven't come to pass yet, and we can get the idea that God's arm is short, that He does not keep His word, but He always does. Remind yourself of God's ownership of you. What do you have that you've not received? We, we are in, totally in debt to the Lord, and He owns us. We belong to Him. And celebrate the gracious intentions of God for you. His focus is not on punishment or mastery, because he's already the master, but on redemption and on healing to his purposes. His kindness will lead us to repentance. It's another interesting little story I, I, I saw. <clears throat> it comes out of the Philippines. A missionary that was there was vacationing in the mountain area of northern Luzon, I guess it's L-U-Z-O-N. And he, while he visited there, there's the, they discovered this St. Louis Silver School, which where silversmiths were trained. And they admired all the workmanship, and they had to buy a, a, a souvenir there, and he bought a pure silver money clip that he kept. In fact, he used it for 24 years. And while he was using it one time to put some 
dollars into it, uh, it, it snapped. It, it, um, it, it broke in two. So he had the opportunity to go back to that same village, and he went back to that same store, or that same uh, silversmith's school, and uh, was talking to one of the workmen, and, sa- and he asked him the question, can you fix it? Can, can you fix this silver money clip that I bought 24 years ago? And his response, he said, he said I'm the only one that ever, I designed this, and I'm the only one that ever made it. And so he said, can you fix it? And he said, I designed it, I made it, of course I can fix it. Now sit at the feet of God and hear that from him. I designed you, I made you, yeah, I can fix it. I can fix it. I'll do it my way, but I can fix it in love. Let's pray together, could we please? How we thank you, Father, that we are clay in your hands, that you have designed us to be your children, to follow you, to walk with you in fellowship, to represent you and to demonstrate the likeness of you in us, even as marred and broken vessels, we can see the light that you give. We, we celebrate the fact that your strength is made perfect in weakness. You haven't invited us to sin more or to make more weakness so you look better. You've called us to walk with you and to become stronger in you so that even our strength is seen for what it is, your strength within us. Father, I pray today that as we have heard your word that it would come into our spirit in power, the power that it alone possesses by your Holy Spirit. That you would work your work in us, that you would shape us and mold us. And we thank you for the pressure of your hands on our lives. Sometimes it seems soft and sometimes it seems awfully uncomfortable, but we thank you that it's always just right, just what we need that we will bend and be shaped and become the vessel of honor that you long for us to be, that you've designed it for us to be. As we sit at your table to take the supper that you've given for us to remember your death and resurrection and your coming again, may we do so as one who is so in debt to you but so alive by your love. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.